So good morning, welcome, and, and we're in uh, we're going to be uh, launching from Acts the seventeenth chapter this morning. And as you recall in our message last week, uh, we kind of started here because this is where our pastor was, and it's interesting that. Uh, Paul had intended to go to Spain too. Norman and Nancy's plan is to end up in Barcelona and then fly home. Paul, in the 15th chapter of Acts, it was his desire to go to to Spain as well, and but uh, I don't think he made it. So, uh, so anyway, uh, in our in our previous message, they in Acts chapter one or 17 verse one, they. Uh, they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica where was a synagogue of the Jews and Paul as his manner was went in unto them in three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preached unto you is Christ and then then we went on through that and some of them believed and the Jews kind of put up an uproar there and and ran him out of town they kind of scuttled him out of there and then and took him to Berea which was this, in our previous message it was about 50 miles to the west of uh, Thessalonica and and he spent some time there uh, three sabbath days i think it, uh, it, he was in in uh, Thessalonica and then he went to to uh, Berea, and and as our our message title last week was, and as part two today is uh, elements of the gospel, and and here we have just a brief sentence where he he says he he went to the synagogue and reasoned with them out of the scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Well, you know, he did. He just did the same thing that Philip did when he went down to the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from Isaiah, and, and, and Philip started at the same scripture and preached unto him Christ. And, and, and as was the custom in the synagogues, they would select a person, he would stand up and he would take a roll and he would read a, a passage or a, a block of scripture from one of the rolls. And and then I'm sure Paul did the same thing there. He, he probably went to that scripture and said, this is talking about the Savior. This is talking about Christ. And, uh, and, uh, So this one brief sentence can't really tell us all of the gospel that he preached there, but he was there three weeks, so he must have said more than one one brief sentence. <laughs> but we do know from the other scriptures, uh, for example, in uh, in First uh, Corinthians chapter four verse seventeen, he said, "For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son." Faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you to remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So he didn't have a different message for the different places that he went. He had the same message of the same gospel, no matter where he went. And and you know, it's it's interesting about Thessalonica. It, it just 
we had that one brief sentence there that he opened and alleged that that Christ must needs suffer and be raised again from the dead. And, and, and that's really all it says about it. But then we have this nice letter to the, to the Thessalonians in uh, two letters actually to them where he says, uh, knowing brethren, beloved. He calls them beloved. Your election of God for our gospel came not unto you in word only. When he was there, the gospel he preached to them, went to them, not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. And in much assurance, as you know, what manner of men we were among you. And so uh, we have that record that the, the word of God took hold there and their people believed. <clears throat> and <clears throat> so we can we can look there and we can look in other places, other letters that Paul wrote, uh, Ephesians, uh, all the, all the epistles that he wrote. A com- pretty complete record of the gospel that he declared no matter where he went and and <clears throat> so in our text today from verse 3 opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and Mike touched uh, on that just a little bit during the Bible class about the it, it was necessary that he suffer and that you know that's kind of a crucial part of the elements of the gospel and, and <clears throat> uh, he must needs have suffered and that would have been clearly understood <clears throat> uh, to mean uh, in the parlance of the, the Greek of the time that he was bound. It was an obligation. It was a Christ must need suffer. It was a it was a binding by necessity and a binding by oath in the covenant of grace that he that he accomplished that. So when when he said when he says that Christ must needs have suffered. It was a powerful statement there about what Christ, uh, uh, his part of the covenant of grace there. He must suffer as the substitute for the children of God that God the Father gave him in the covenant of grace. And and they, if he didn't suffer, then they must pay the penalty for them, their sins themselves. And the good news is, the gospel that we preach is that the Son of God agreed to joyfully accomplish that part of the covenant of grace. It says, for the joy that was set before him, uh, he endured the cross and despised the shame and 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 satisfied God and is set down at the right hand of of, of the throne of God. And and you know our previous message we we cited a little bit from Daniel chapter nine in verse twenty six, which prophesied this is uh, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Cut off, but not for himself. <clears throat> the term "cut off" is a—it's another powerful phrase that we find in the scripture, and it has its roots in covenants. Um, in in the the language of the time, it was karath, and it means to cut off, cut down, or asunder, to destroy or consume, specifically to covenant, and we find that in the Old Testament and it was uh, to make an alliance or a bargain originally by cutting flesh and passing between the pieces that's what it tells us in Strong's Concordance so they would take an animal cleave it in half and they would lay the two pieces on it and they would pass between the two pieces and that's that solemnitized their their oath their covenant and uh, 
in Genesis 15, we have a record of that. If you want to turn over to Genesis 15 regarding Abraham... After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham there in verse 1 of chapter 15 in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy great exceeding reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, saying, I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees, to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these things, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds he divided not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards they shall come out with great substance, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And in the same day the Lord made covenant with Abram, saying, Unto this seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So this uh, this covenant, this cutting off, this cutting asunder, has to do with a with a, a covenant term. <clears throat> and uh, in uh, Jeremiah chapter thirty-four, verse eighteen, I'll read this for you real quick. And I'll give the men that transgress my covenant, which have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in twain. So they made a covenant. They cut the calf in twain, and then they didn't keep their word. They broke the covenant. So it was meaningless. And I will give the men that have transgressed my covenant, which have not performed the words of the covenant, which they made before me when they cut in half the, the calf and passed between the parts thereof. So uh, <clears throat> so this cutting off, has it's a significant term that we find. And we find that Messiah was to be cut off, to be cut asunder. And... So there's a an element there where it alludes to the cutting off of the son by the father in that awful but glorious time on the cross where he was suspended between heaven and earth. And he said, Lord, why hast thou forsaken me? Why hast thou left me? And this dividing uh, that he uh, took in our place. <clears throat> and, you know, 
in as far as a covenant it goes in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13 says when God made this promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater he swore by himself and you can read that in, in, in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13 through 20 but we'll not uh, take time to do that right now but uh, <clears throat> the the primary element that we want to look at here in the gospel regarding uh, these elements of the gospel is the components of it and and as we alluded to earlier the this primary element here regards sin and the fall of Adam and regarding how the messiah must be cut off but not for himself he he's coming as a substitute as uh, was brought out in the bible class this morning uh, to take the place of the penalty for the price of the children that God gave him in the covenant of grace that, that we find behold I and the children whom God hath given me there in Isaiah 8 to 18 I believe it is and and then again in uh, John chapter 17 and so forth so as we look at this we have to take a look at these elements of the gospel and and realize that the, the very first thing that we run into is the eternal electing love of God whereby he, he loved the people and that before they were born, before they did any good or evil as it tells us there in Malachi and in, in uh, Romans <clears throat> that the purpose of God according to election might stand and, and these children were affected by the fall and and as in Adam, we we all by heredity became by nature choice a, a sinner ruined by the fall. When Adam sinned, he was changed. Uh, I, I think that we don't really pay enough attention to that. But but uh, when when Adam was created, God said, "Let us make 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 him in our image." And what does the scripture say about God? God is a, a quite different than what we might imagine. God is light and he has no darkness. And, and here's Adam that has this relationship uh, with, with God. And when we, when we look at the people that have had contact with God, they're, they're glowing, they're shining, they have this light. Remember when Moses came down from the mountain, he had to put a veil over his face because his face shone. I think he had kind of absorbed some of the by osmosis so to speak, kind of absorb some of that glory of God. And, and so when, when Adam sinned, that all vanished. And he says, I'm naked. So something transpired there in this fall, in the sin that changed him in a significant way. And he could only pass on the very thing that he was from that point on, which he was a sinner. And, and so all his progeny from that point on became... Uh, by by their nature uh, sinners and and so we have that that issue that we're we're faced with but you know we just don't really realize that until the spirit wakens us and causes us to understand that so so as adam died spiritually in the garden that nature was passed on to all the seed romans records that in uh from psalms he he uh, as paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, there's none righteous, not a single one. No, not one. Psalm 14, for all of sin, we're all 
every single one is a sinner and come short of the glory of God. And that that particular scripture comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. So he's, he's just going through there and picking the Old Testament scriptures that, that make that point. <clears throat> and the, the devastating consequences of sin really can't be overstated and how it how it relates to God. He just, sin and him are just totally opposite and sin cannot be in his presence. And, and so there's a problem there. How can he be uh, just and the justifier? Well, that's the good news of the gospel. <clears throat> and since every person in the world is in fact a sinner by nature, birth, and practice, then no matter how moral they might be, the 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 natural man can't can't accomplish righteousness. Uh, as uh, I think Bill Parker said, they can't resurrect themselves. They're they're dead in sins and trespasses. And and so the good news of the elements of the gospel is that God, the Father, provided a substitute the Lord Jesus Christ, someone that could go and substitute himself in our place, pay the penalty for our sins. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what it tells us in Romans 5.8. And he loved us in spite of our sin. I think there's even a hymn named that, called that. He loved me in spite of my sin. And, and I think there is a famous quote from a woman that said, he must have loved me in eternity because after I was born, there was surely nothing to love in me then. <laughs> and uh, I think we all could say that or to some degree. <clears throat> but he loved us before we were born and had done any good or evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand. And and you know, the the most wonderful part of the elements of the gospel that we find is what what God requires, he always supplies. He requires a sacrifice. He re requires something to take the penalty for the sins of all the people that he gave his son. And he, we find that he did that. And we have a metaphor of that. We have a picture of that in Genesis chapter 22, verse 8, where uh, Isaac and Abraham have gone up on the mountain and and to do the sacrifice of his son, a picture of what the father was doing. And and the son said, well, here's the wood and here's the altar. Where's the, where's the lamb? And Abraham said in verse 8 of chapter 22, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. That's a very interesting phrase there. He will... He will provide himself, which he did. And then he, he said he will provide himself a lamb, which was the picture, the metaphor that we find all the way from from the beginning, all the way through the end, from, from Genesis to Revelation. We have the lamb slain before from before the foundation of the world, uh, as mentioned in uh, Revelation 13, 8. Uh, and... In First Peter chapter 1, it says, For as much as you know you were not redeemed with corruptible things, you're not, you're, your penalty wasn't paid by, you couldn't just go throw money at it or, or some corruptible thing. Uh, 
silver and gold from your vain or useless conversation or manner of life, your religious life, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Boy, we always find that God is not taken by surprise. He's every, uh, we, we have a, a kind of a misunderstanding of God when we, we try to a, assign to him attributes of man and not recognize that he says, I, I am that I am. Before Abraham was, I am. <clears throat> and, and his uh, nature is, is eternal in that aspect. And, <clears throat> and so he's in all time, all places, all things. And, and nothing is, is uh, out of his reach or control. <clears throat> and so we have this enmity that we're born with against God because of the fall that the scripture is pretty plain about. We, 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 like Adam, try to substitute our own righteousness, our own, and we have a, a wrong concept of God there about uh, what satisfies him. And, and as Adam tried to sew fig leaves of, together to cover his nakedness and, and take care of his problem, <clears throat> uh, it, it wouldn't do. And, and then that went on down to the next generation where they had the, the Cain and Abel where one brought the work of his own hands and the other a firstling of the flock. And to the one, the one was a, a picture of the, the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world and the other was a picture of the work of man's hands uh, bringing what he thought would be, I worked hard for this and I, I don't doubt having worked a garden it's back-breaking work and hard work. And he said, you'll have to con contend with thorns and thistles and rocks and all these things. Hard work to produce a crop. He worked hard probably for that and said, you know, I've worked hard. This should work. This should, in my opinion, in my thinking, this should be satisfier. This should satisfy God. But it doesn't. It doesn't pay the penalty that God required that the, the wages of sin is death, and so <clears throat> it was unsatisfactory. And <clears throat> so we have this uh, by birth. We have this this enmity toward God. We have a we we have a hatred toward God that, in His natural right view and aspect, <clears throat> and we're always trying to to convert Him into something that that we we think is more malleable or more more applicable to to our life as paul went down into athens and remember the in their last lesson about the acropolis it was the high it's called the acropolis meant the highest place and on top of the highest place they had a temple dedicated to a, a fake god that addressed a need that they felt that they had and i bet paul says I bet I can hardly wait to get down there and tell them about the Most High God that actually can do something, that actually does something, that actually saves His people, that actually is a, a solution up to this problem of sin and not this fake man-made structure. He says He doesn't live in things made by hands and temples and like that. Uh, and <clears throat> But we think 
that we can create a situation we can create a god that uh, that relates to us in our natural sense and so we have this enmity against him <clears throat> but in Ephesians chapter 2 12 it says at the time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel not national Israel but the spiritual Israel strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope without God in the world that's a pretty dismal view of how we are by nature he says but now in Christ Jesus you who were sometimes afar off as as far off as the east is from the west <laughs> as some, you who are sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ for he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh that enmity even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances those ones that we could never keep. Uh, I always think about it when we go back and, and Norm's been preaching through Leviticus and Numbers and, and all those laws and sacrifice and all those things. I would just, if I'd have been an Israel Israelite, I would just said, God, just shoot me now. <laughs> Get it over with. I can't, I can't keep all that. And, you know, and that was the purpose of it, was the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, to, for us to say, we... We can't do this. We we can't do it by ourselves. We need a we need a substitute that can keep all this for us. And, and so he abolished the in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God by one body by the cross, having slain the enmity. Boy, that's a final. Uh, final way to get rid of that problem through Christ. He's slain the enmity by uh, his blood on the cross. So the satisfaction of this covenant by Christ for the children God gave him was demonstrated in the resurrection which is another element of our gospel that we bring out each time and and in uh, Mike was referencing from Isaiah 53 this morning in the Bible class uh, <clears throat> but in 53:10 and 11 is it yet it pleased the lord to bruise him to to the messiah must suffer he hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin the perfect offering that we talked about that lamb slain from before the foundation of the world the lamb without spot without blemish <clears throat> you be cut off but not for himself he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. <clears throat> he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. God was saw that that sacrifice and said, that satisfies my requirement. And that's why in Romans 8 it says there's there's no condemnation them to them who are in Christ. Uh, <clears throat> so he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So we've seen in these gospel elements, including electing love in eternity by the Father, the, the basic nature of sin from the fall, the good news of the one who was the substitute for the children of God, that they're called the believing ones here in, as recorded in Scripture. And it's, it's usually, uh, as we look at that in uh, John, uh, this is a, a, a passage that's 
uh, used quite a bit in a universalistic sense that Christ died for everybody in the world regardless. And it's up to them to decide whether or not they want to accept that. But uh, when we look at the words in these scriptures in John chapter 3, it's it's quite clear that that's not the intent. And and <clears throat> so if you want to turn over there to John chapter 3, we'll we'll look at that but it's it's verses that's usually presented in religion as a a universalistic application based on and it's designed to to create a reaction in the hearer or the reader and believing then sort of almost becomes a a meritorious condition as opposed to uh, the description of the person being spoken of here. So let's look at this in John chapter 3, and it's a, it's a very interesting uh, set of verses. And uh, In John chapter 3, verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now that word must, again, takes us back to that requirement, that oath covenant, that oath uh, necessity. He must be lifted up because it was foreordained. <clears throat> As uh, Mike read from Acts 2.23, you have by wicked hands have taken and crucified and slain, lifted up. And that's what the purpose of that in the wilderness uh, coming out of Egypt, he lifted up that pole with a brazen serpent on it. Well, even so, <clears throat> as Moses lifted up the the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And the emphasis here, and this is where people get off, is they take it from off of Christ and put it on man. But the emphasis here is really on Christ and what He did. The Son of Man must be lifted up. He must suffer. He must need suffer in the place of the elect. And then the next verse says that, or in order, that in the King James Version, which was written by the, what are the Episcopalian translators for the Church of England out of the Catholic Church at the time, whosoever believeth, but in the Greek the rendering is, is everyone believing. And again, we need to keep our focus on who is the main thing here, and that is Christ. <clears throat> in order that everyone believing, which is really an existing condition and not a proposition, <clears throat> everyone believing should not perish, but have eternal life. And that that is that is talking about then is truly is in respect to what Christ did and not for the purpose of what a person might do. Yeah, believing versus one who will or might believe. Uh, and it, it's in the Greek interlinear, the understanding is that in order that all the those uh, to have faith, and the next part is really interesting, less, not less to destroy fully other things. And the, the definition there is the intent of preventing something undesirable and to avoid the risk of. Christ must be lifted up so that the children that God gave him from eternity might not, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so the focus turns from 
putting it on man to what Christ actually did for us. And so this, uh, the term believeth here is uh, all the to have faith in, in the Greek expresses one who is absolutely persuaded. It's a condition that they already uh, have. One who has faith and is has an expect an expectation resulting from that faith or persuasion, and and it's not really a condition of merit as sometimes is led on. Now we'll look at uh, uh, the next verse in sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that or in that word means in order again. He's, he his Son must need suffer. His Son must be lifted up. Whosoever believeth, and again, that's that same turn, uh, everyone, everyone believing, which is that existing condition, should not, and that is an absolute denial, is what it indicates. They, it's not should like we think of, a, well, you shouldn't do that. It's that they absolutely will not perish. Uh, but have everlasting life in the in a universalistic application should not becomes a conditional verb that's linked to believing and it's not a product of what God did in giving his son a ransom because it it was an absolute uh, fact an absolute uh, uh, performance there by this by the God the Father and God the Son and and so it in the Greek, it gives us a different perspective of what was related to compared to how it's used in today's religion. Remember uh, when we looked at Luke uh, twelve twenty-eight about, uh, O ye of little faith. You should, be, you should have more faith. But he says, you know what? You have little faith, but it doesn't depend on how much faith you have. I'm going to clothe you better than Solomon. I'm going to clothe you better than those lilies in the field those or those flowers in the field i'm taking care of all that and it doesn't matter it doesn't depend on the quantity or quality of the faith you have because he calls them you little face and then he calls them later he says you you little flock and uh, it's the the littles are two different words there one of them uh, the first one <clears throat> means puny <laughs> we're puny in faith he said, if you had faith as like a mustard seed, you could move mountains. But, you know, in in our structures that we have now and our capabilities, we just, we're just, we just lack there. He says, you're puny. But it doesn't, I'm not. God says, I'm not puny. I've taken, I'm going to give you the, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And it doesn't require you uh, to muster up more or, or a higher quality of faith, he, he, he takes that from us and says, I've taken care of that. And whatever we do have, it's because he's given it to us. Uh, total reliance on Christ for, for salvation, for everything. <clears throat> so, as in, in that section here where we where we saw in the King James Version, it was posed as a question. In the Greek, it's a sentence that ends in a period that just states a fact. And so it, it requires us to pay attention to the context, to, to frame things in Scripture 
as we did there in, in Luke chapter 12 and again here in John uh, chapter 3 because much of Scripture has been translated and preached with a bent toward inducing some kind of action or movement or to produce a desired reaction. And 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 they, deep down, because of the fall, they have the idea that God's really not that successful and we need to kind of help Him along a little bit. And here's how we can do that. We can just kind of put the emphasis on man and what man can do. And uh, it's, uh, I think it was called Finneyism back in the 1800s where he said, you know, there's just nothing to keep people from getting saved than just get up out of that chair and march down here and repeat after me. And and he converted thousands that way. And... and uh, uh, you know, just a string of error there. So when we understand that that some of this, uh, what we have, you know, as we go through our Bible studies, we look at several translations. Mostly I rely on my Greek interlinear to get the kind of the best understanding of what's being brought forth. Uh, some of the translations were clearly bent with the... Uh, some some obedience and to sacraments and ordinances that play a, hint that they play a role in salvation, which they they really don't. So, we've looked at then at uh, the nature of sin and man, the covenant of grace, where a substitute was provided before the foundation of the world, and uh, in time the we had the fulfillment of the payment of the redemption price by the Savior. And today, and Mike touched on this briefly in the Bible class, looking at how this great salvation is accomplished. Because clearly, if if what we've been saying is, is the correct view, we're dead in trespasses and sins. We haven't got any ability. And that's what it says in John. No man can, no man has the ability to come to me except the Father which sent me draw him. And at the same time, uh, whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. You know, the, one of the scriptures that uh, Mike was just about to read today said, uh, you won't come. <laughs> whosoever will can come, but we won't, unaided by the Spirit. And so we find that that the... That it's so necessary that the Spirit of God uh, do His part, as as Paul said to the in Thessalonica, this, the gospel has to come to you in power and in the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> and He has to apply it. and And at that time, when He draws us with the gospel, when He calls us with the gospel, if that's what's happening, it's because he's been working. It's because he's doing his job, and, and he's not going to let one of the Lord's elect go by. But they're going to be called at the time that he has before determined, and we can't rush that. We can't delay it, but we can't rush it. It has to be in his terms and his time. <clears throat> and since the one that's dead has no right understanding of sin and the righteousness of God Almighty, how could he feel a compelled to call on Christ for for salvation for something that he doesn't really believe he's guilty of? So 
So what we found in the Old Testament was when I give you a new heart, when I, when I clean you, when I wash you, then you're going to look at yourselves and your evil doings and then you're going to loathe yourself. And at that same time, he says, the good news is your sins have been paid for double. The good news is that God sent a substitute to take care of that. So it's a, it's, it's not a linear process, maybe as much as some of the religious people would like. They say, well, first you have to read the gospel. Then you have to be convicted. Then you have to be miserable for like X number of days or weeks or months. And then when you pray hard enough and when you do this and this and this and this, then God will take pity on you and, and save you. But, but it's kind of not, not that kind of a linear process. And so, uh, you, you can't be aware of, of your sin nature and, and the need for a savior until you're, you're like Lazarus and you're woken up from that from that dead. He couldn't wake himself up. So one must be made alive for all that to occur, to believe or be conscious of the nature of sin and the righteousness of God and the need for a, a Savior. And so uh, in John 3, again, we go back to that. He said, Verily, verily, of a truth, I say unto you, except a man be born again. And that means procreated from above. If you look that up in the Greek, that's what it says. Procreated from above. Born again. And of course, Nicodemus, he applied the physical uh, aspect of it. Well, I can't. How can that be? I can't go back into my mother's room and come out again. That can't be. But it's talking about something much different. You must be born from above. You must be procreated from above. <clears throat> And unless that happens, you can't see the kingdom of God, much less be uh, repentant or be sorry for your sins or, uh, or even take uh, refuge in, in a Savior. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter into the kingdom of God. And we, and we learned from our previous lesson that, that the kingdom of God is in the person of Jesus Christ. So we can't be in Him. We can't be in Christ except we be, be born again from above. And, and that being born again is also known as being quickened. Made alive is what that means. John 6.63 says it's the Spirit that quickeneth. That's that's his job. That's his purview. The flesh profited nothing. You can't do it by yourself. You can't produce that out of your own flesh. You can't, it, it can't be done. <clears throat> the, it's the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profited nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so it's the operation of that Holy Spirit to to <clears throat> track down every one of the Lord's people as it were. He knows where they're at. And He knows I'm supposed to be at this place at this time to intersect this person with the Gospel. And, and maybe that person got put on a ship and went from Rome to Spain before He got to a place where He 
where the Spirit intersected him with the gospel and was caused to believe. So he's in charge of all of that. It's his job to intersect the children of God with the gospel. It's the Son's job to, to redeem them, which he has done on the cross. And it's the our job to tell people the gospel, the good news of that substitute. And, and the Spirit causes them to be quickened, to be made alive, and to believe it. We believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So we don't even come up with that that believing part on our own. We, we just can't. Uh, so whosoever shall be shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? Well, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, he says, I've been here and you, and you won't call on me. <laughs> There's none that seeketh God. So uh, again, it takes that Spirit of God to work that out for us. How shall they believe on him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? One, two, bring them the good news of the gospel. One, to, to tell them that uh, the substitute while we were while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I like this one, and we'll close here with a, from Romans, the 10th chapter and verse 20, where he, he quotes, he says, Isaiah says, he's very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was manifested unto them that asked not after me. Isn't that an enlightening verse and gives us cause to to praise the Lord for uh, for tracking us down and and causing us to believe in the gospel, to believe in His Son when of our own nature dead and trespassed sins, we, we wouldn't. Thy people shall be made willing in the day of thy power. Mm-hmm. So we'll stop there. Thank you for your attention. Lord willing, our pastor will be back next Sunday. And I'll be back in uh, Bible class. So.